to come up and do children's chat now. Let's try that again. There you go. I can't really blame it on you, Zach, if my mute button is on. All right. How are y'all doing today? Good. Good, good, good. Um, all right. I have a question for you. Name something that is free. Yes. What? This earth? Very good. Yes. Hope, grace, and life. All right. Love. Very good. Hope, grace, life, love, the earth. Forgiveness. Wow. It's a pretty good list. Uh, what about influenza? 100% free. Happiness, sadness. Happiness can be really expensive if you're chasing it. I don't think you'll find it, but that's another discussion. Um, okay. So I want to talk to you about something that is free. It's mentioned in the Bible, and here it is. You ready? All right. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Do you have to pay for a gift? No. You do have to pay for it? Well, somebody has to pay for it. Do you have to pay for it if you're given a gift? I hope not. That would be weird, right? Okay, so have your parents ever had a birthday party for you and then handed you a bill? <laughs> you now owe me. When, when my daughters were some of your age, my wife had a Wizard of Oz birthday party, and when she handed me the bill, I thought the original cast members were going to make appearances. Okay, so if it's your birthday party, do you have to pay for it? No, it's free to celebrate you, to remind you that someone loves you, right? And to... The, yeah, the cake, the ingredients to the cake are not free. Somebody has to pay for that. So who paid for the grace by which you are saved? How did he pay for it? Does he have a big wallet? How did God pay for the grace by which we are saved? Jesus died on the cross for our sins. Two good answers. Let me see if I have my stars in my Bible. I do. All right. What color would you like? You get green, blue, silver, or red, or gold. You want blue? 
turn your hand over the other side. There you go. Beautiful. What do you want? Gold. <laughs> All right. There you go. Good answer. Jesus is always a good answer at the children's chat. <coughs> Describe a squirrel's tail. God is close. Jesus. Jesus. Yes, that's always the answer at the children's chat. Okay, the squirrel's tail is fluffy. So God, God gave us a gift. That gift is his grace. You and I do not have to pay for that gift. It was given to us because God loves us. And it was the gift of, of his son who went to the cross to bring about our forgiveness, the grace by which we are saved, right? That is how much God loves you. It's like he's throwing a birthday party for you every day. He loves you. He's crazy about you. And he wants you to know that you are part of his family for two weeks? Two weeks? Is that a long time? No? A month. A quarter. A year. A decade. A century. A millennium. A geologic era. Okay, he wants he loves you and he wants you to be part of his family forever. That's why he gave, you don't get to you don't get to demand second stars. <laughs> All right. I think you get it. God loves you. He has given you something that is free to you. It costs his son dearly, but he loves you dearly and he wants you to be in his family in his arms forever. That's pretty awesome. Can I pray with you guys before you go to Hope for Kids? All right. Dear God, thank you for these precious children. Thank you for the gift that they are to our lives, to our church. And I just pray your blessing on them as they study more of your word and Hope for Kids today. Fill them with your Holy Spirit and lead them to a deeper understanding of how much you love them, how crazy you are about them, and remind them that they are eternally yours forever. What a blessing. We pray that over them in Jesus' name. Amen. Y'all have a great time and hope for kids. <laughs> All right, Lee. Get up here, man. So uh, Lee is uh, involved in a ministry uh, called RUF by most people stands for Reformed University Fellowship, and you're on what campuses? Just UTSA? UTSA, let me turn my mic on. It's on. Okay, UTSA, and then we're also at Northwest Vista College, too. Okay, mm -hmm. great. Yep. And so you minister to that crazy era of life called collage. Mm -hmm. Yes. And so you are um, engaged with college students for the sake of their Christian growth and well-being. Um, God bless you. Thank you. Yeah. Um, and so we have a few students that are mm -hmm. part of your ministry, 
and uh, Darden was being examined before our presbytery. Did, did you pass? Where did he go? Did they? Okay. All right. They didn't kick you out or anything? Okay. I don't know. We must have lied well. Okay. Um, and then I was supposed to be at Presbytery with him, and we thought the way that, that these airlines are having troubles these days, if we're flying back on a Saturday evening, we should call for backup. And so Lee is backup, but Lee is also engaged with kids in our church or, or young adults in our church, and so it, it, it's not just backup. It's a connection. There's a connection. There's, there's ministry that's crossing paths, and we're glad you're here. And he went to the, the only real seminary in the United States. There's, I don't think there's anybody else here who's going to argue with that. This is awesome. <laughs> okay, good. Um, what else do we need to know? Um, I'm married to Sarah. Uh, Tilly was one of my kids that w- was up here. Um, Did she get a gold star? She got a gold star okay. on her hand. Yes, so, good. good. Um, she's off to a good yeah, start. So she's my 10-year-old. I have an 8-year-old named Margo and a 6-year-old named Max. Um, we moved here from Orlando, Florida three years ago to um, kind of restart the ministry of RUF at UTSA. Uh, we were doing ministry at the University of Central Florida. Um, for Florida. six years. Yep, yep. But uh, my wife and I are both from Texas originally. Okay. So we, so coming to San Antonio was like coming home, and we've loved it here. I good. mean, we, we have absolutely loved being here. So, um, and it's good to get out yep. of Florida. It's God's waiting room. Oh, it, yes. Yeah. I, I, I'll, I'll leave that for like the, you know, the time where we're not being recorded to talk about Florida, but I love Texas, and it's great to be in San Antonio. Well, so. any news headline so. that be- begins with a Florida man yeah, is right. always <laughs> worth reading. I'll just put it that way. That's right. That's hey, right. Yeah. Welcome. We're Thank glad you, you're here. I'm going to turn it over to you. Appreciate it. All right. Um, well, if you have uh, a copy of God's Word, would you turn with me to Ephesians chapter 2? I'm actually going to be reading um, Ephesians 2 verses 1 through 10. Um, we might just have Ephesians 2, 8 through 10 printed, Um, but we're going to be looking at Ephesians chapter 2, 1 through 10 for the reading. I'm essentially going to be preaching just um, verses 8 through 10 uh, today, but, um, and if you don't have a copy of God's Word, you can just listen to me as I read it. So Ephesians 2, starting in verse 1. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work, and the sons of disobedience, among whom we once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God... Being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together in Christ. And this is what we're going to be talking about. For by grace you have been saved and raised up uh, and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, 
not a result of work, so that no one would boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Let me pray for us this morning. Father in heaven, thank you for our time. Uh, Thank you for this chance to look at your word. Um, I pray that you um, would allow this to be a fruitful time, that our hearts would be pierced uh, by your word, that you would soften them even now. Um, I pray that, uh, that your words would go forth in power and that anything that is not of you um, would fall to the ground and would be no more, but um, that you would speak through me um, and that you would use this time uh, well so that we would hear your word and hear it clearly. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, well, a little bit about our ministry at UTSA that I wanted to share. Um, so, uh, I, as I had said, I've been there for three years. Um, we are uh, engaging with students uh, in, a, in a wide variety of, um, of backgrounds. Uh, but there's really three uh, backgrounds of students that are involved in our ministry. And it would be Kids that are coming looking for a Christian community, that's typical for any campus ministry, you might say. Um, A group of international students who really don't have a Christian background, um, and they have been connected through really one student who is very deeply connected in the international community. So that's been really fun because we've had these uh, cultural dinners. So a week and a half ago, we had students over to have a traditional Chinese dinner. Um, which is very different than going to a typical Chinese restaurant uh, in America. And we've been able to celebrate some culture, so that's been really fun. And then a third group of students um, are what I would term, and I hope this isn't offensive to anyone, bad Catholics. And, and I'm going I'm to spell that out a little bit more, but bad Catholics are some of my favorite people to talk with because they love grace. They absolutely love grace because for them, they know that their effort has always fallen flat. That everything that they have done to be able to be good enough or to perform well enough uh, in the church or in their life, or honestly, a lot of time it's in their family too, um, has fallen short. And so when, when we're engaged in Bible study and we're going through parables in Luke, for instance, just a week ago, and there's this understanding that Jesus freely brings back the prodigal son, the younger son, to himself and that he does all the work for them, they are amazed and they are excited to hear this good news. And that's essentially what I want to talk about with you today is The grace that is given to us by the Father, through the Son, and through faith in Jesus. Um, But one of the the really challenging parts about being on a college campus is that it's a really graceless place. Uh, In fact, the two students who are here uh, worked really, really hard to get to the place where they could attend UTSA. Um, they have, they they have gone through examinations and they've done well in school and they've probably earned scholarships to be able to make a way so that they could do it. And so everything about the college context, um, is, is not exactly grace that it's merit 
driven, right? That you want to you want to do well enough so that you can you, you can get scholarships, so you can get opportunities. And that's not exactly a bad thing, but that's just a reality. That's the context in which I am in. And honestly, all of you are in. All of all of us are in a context where we are having to do something to prove ourselves, to work hard enough, um, even intellectually, to to be smart enough, uh, even relationally, to have to have some kind of of connection with another person. We have to be something enough in order to uh, work out. Uh, in, in, in order to be engaged in this world. Some other ways uh, that grace is so counters to this world, it's not just on the college context, uh, are, and, and this is just a very quick list, is the idea of cancel culture, right? That you can be canceled for doing one wrong thing or by having tweets from 10 years ago that, uh, that, were, that were less than politically correct. Um, productivity versus your personhood. A lot of jobs are looking at how well you can produce, how much you can do in order uh, to, to, to be a profitable uh, employee. And we often miss in our society the fact that there is a person with situations that, that happen, uh, with loss, with grief, um, with mental health challenges, whatever it might be, that are, that, that are a part of who they are. And so there's very little grace. There's uh, like not even small grace. It's typically you're not producing enough, you're fired, you're done. Uh, or even generational clashes over some minor details. And this, it, it seems like there's a chasm between um, younger people who are in college or just out of college and even people my age that are just a generation away. And so I want you to hear that grace is something that we need to hear all the time. And I think when, when, we're, when we're listening to a sermon about grace, if you've been in the church more than maybe 10 years, you can very easily tune this out. Because maybe you've read Ephesians, maybe you're familiar with it. I mean, that would be my propensity if I were in your seat. Is uh, I've, I've heard this, I've probably read it really recently. I don't need to do anything about it. But I got to be honest, as I was sitting there hearing uh, the children's talk, I was super encouraged by what the kids were saying and what the, what the word is saying and by what Tom is saying. And so I encourage you just to kind of like listen and be curious about, uh, about what is being said here. Um, that grace is a balm that actually makes living in this broken and difficult world possible. It actually makes it workable. It actually allows us to be able to enjoy um, being in a world that is graceless. Understanding the grace of God um, is such a beautiful thing. There's tons of books, films, uh, different things in pop culture that, that speak to grace. But I love, and maybe some of you all do too, uh, Victor Hugo's Les Miserables. Um, I had... The chance, and, and if you're a French speaker, I'm sorry for butchering that, um, because I know that I said it the wrong way, but I, but I really did try. Um, but I, I, was really interesting and I was really interested in looking at this, that he actually wrote this while he was on a self-imposed exile to Belgium, um, in part because he 
didn't feel like he was good enough. And he just saw just the, the turmoil that was going on in France at the time. And he, he relates his own internal turmoil as well as the turmoil going on in France to this character named Jean Valjean. And near the beginning of the book or the film or the play, if you've seen it, uh, Valjean is constantly turned away because he has this yellow passport. Um, he's essentially being canceled in one way uh, 200 years ago because he's a former convict and nobody wants him near. Uh, they, they know that he's a bad guy. They know that he has a past. They don't want him in their space. And then there's this bishop that gives Valjean a place to stay, welcomes him in, and then the former convict returns the favor by stealing silver, by stealing these valuable things. Um, what's amazing is that the bishop actually brings him back into his house after the police catch him, and, um, and they, he essentially lies to the, to the authorities saying, oh, I, I gave them to this man. Um, tells him about God's grace, and in many ways, Valjean's life is changed forever. And this is really a great example because one of the things that we need to understand about grace is it's not just simple forgiveness. Um, it's not just the words of saying, I'm sorry. It's something much bigger than that. God's grace is huge for us. Um, and the three, the three things that we're going to look, look at in Ephesians 2, because it lays it out so well for us, is that by God's grace, we are saved first. By God's grace, secondly, we have unmerited favor. I'm using words from the text. And then by God's grace, we are his workmanship, or if you like the word better, we are his masterpiece. That's how I like to think of it. So we are saved, we have unmerited favor, and we are his masterpiece. So how are we saved? Verse 8 is key to this passage. It is, it, it's a verse that I memorized as a college student. It's just an amazing verse. It's so rich. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and it, this is not your undoing. It is the gift of God. This helps us to see the beauty of the reality of grace by Jesus Christ, through faith in him. And this is the heart of the Protestant Reformation. Um, this is why, th this is one of the things that we cling to as Presbyterians, as evangelicals, as Christians, really, um, that we did nothing. Uh, I, I, I love it because Paul is essentially saying, for, for you have done nothing. It is a gift of God through Jesus Christ. There's nothing you have done. God has given you this gift. We, we just heard about that. Um, and if there's nothing else that you walk away with today, I want you to like consider this and ponder over it. That Christ in your life is a gift to be cherished and to be understood. He's a gift to be cherished and to, uh, to understand in some deep, in some rich, in some lovely ways. In Ephesians 2, Christ, is, it, Christ as the gift is really the center, and there's tentacles that go all around this passage. And, and we're looking at how he saves us, right? How he saves us, th this is, um, I, I'm going to pull out some Greek here just because I'm nerdy like that. So it says, have been saved, and that is actually a perfect passive participle. 
PPP. And what that means is that it shows that the past act of Christ, this past thing that you were not involved with, that you are a participant of, um, has saved you and has both present and ongoing reality to it. Here's what that means, is that the saving thing was something that we could experience when we accepted Christ, we experienced whenever Christ died on the cross, and we continue to experience that saving reality ongoing. It's something that we continue to have as, as a reality, <clears throat> right? And this is something that if you've been in the church, it might not really blow your mind. But if you're a person that has not heard that, if you're a person that, that really struggles to understand it, it is so beautiful. Um, because for many of the students that I minister to, they think that they can just flip a Bible and then put their finger down on some random verse and that that will change their life. Or that the Bible is too old to answer any of the questions that they might have. Um, Right? And when you understand grace, you understand the richness. When you understand that there is a saving um, aspect of grace, it, un- it shows you that God is the one who worked hard, that did all of the work to save you. We need to continually hear about grace because it shows that we actually had a lot of badness that we needed to get saved from. That we were, um, and, and the text had, had said this, we were dead in our trespasses. We were so far gone that we, that we were beyond uh, hope. And some Christians, or some people that had believed in Christianity at one point, would say that this is actually something that would be really negative for someone's mental health. That understanding the reality of the deadness of your sin uh, is, is, is something that is, is really not helpful for people. I listened to a podcast that is about deconstructing your faith. I'm not sure if that uh, language is familiar, but it's something that a lot of college or like post-college folks are doing. And typically what it is is that you have uh, these people who had grown up in a church and are, uh, um, you know, have heard about faith, but in, in slow ways began walking away from the faith, and what they have said is that a person's mental health uh, is harmed by the fact of telling that th- them that they are bad. Um, I was a mental health counselor before coming into RUF almost nine years ago, and would hear this from a lot of people. Um, and wh- one of the wh- one of the techniques that we would try to use, because uh, I was doing like social work type stuff is to sort of eliminate some of the bad things that would go on in a person's life. That, I- that, that gets insanely impossible, unless you can, just, you can just put them in a holding cell. Honestly, one of, the, one of the safest places for many of the people that I worked with was a psychiatric hospital. It was honestly one of the safest places because it could literally just sanitize their entire life. And I'm here to tell you that that is not a place to live. That is not a place where, where a person can have much of a life. And so we live in a sinful world. We have sinful bodies. 
There is a struggle that, that we actually deal with, and so we have to have some answer to it. And the simplest answer is that Christ saves us, and that that saving is ongoing, that it is something that even happens when you're in the middle of something disastrous or something painful or something really, really difficult in your life. Uh, or as many of my friends and the people that I work with, something that's triggering, right? It is even in those times that the grace of God can come up. And I love the fact, and, and I'm not going to talk about this in detail today, but I'm sure you guys will talk about it or, or have gotten to it, but the idea of sanctification in a person's life, that they are actually growing in grace, that that, that, that grace wasn't just a past thing, that the saving wasn't just a past thing, but there is something that is continually happening in a person's life that is, that is showing grace at work in and through them. I want to give you guys even a, a deeper understanding of, of grace as well. Um, so I've wrestled with something that um, a, a guy that I follow named David Zoll has said. Um, and th this was several months ago that, that he had said that hard work in his family actually bred a sense of resentment in his heart as a kid. Because what, what his family valued is that you work hard and you do well and you succeed. But then he would see people that weren't as hardworking still succeed and still get ahead. And so he had this sense of this resentment in his, in his heart. And um, he had, like David Zoll had this epiphany that what he believed is that he was morally good. And that what he needed to believe is the opposite. That he is truly not morally good and needed to be saved from his sin and needed to see that really all of us are on the surface not morally good and that we need saving and we need grace to be in our lives. And so one of the things that he talks about is the absence of grace. What does the absence of grace do? Uh, the absence of grace actually like makes us have to strive to be good enough constantly to think that we can do something to be good enough. And often what we'll do is that we'll change the rules uh, to, to become good enough, right? To, to change to, I, I, heard a, I heard a chuckle because I'm sure that y'all experience this, right? You change the rules in order to be good enough or to think you're good enough or even to appear good enough. And this is one of the challenges that Christian churches and organizations have had to deal with, is appearing as though you are good enough in society so that people will respect us. Um, and one of the beautiful things about having grace being the center of what we believe is that we're not looking at ourselves to prove that we're good enough. We're clinging to Jesus and his work and what he has done for us. Because the presence of grace actually shows that we can do some radical things as a church. There was an amazing example of this, June uh, of 2015, when a gunman the week of Mother's Day that year came into an African-American Methodist church in Charleston, 
uh, South Carolina and killed nine people during a Bible study. It was one of the most tragic events uh, that had happened, and the shooters, the, the shooter actually wanted to try to incite a race war. Um, I'm not sure if you guys remember this. It was almost eight years ago, but instead of having this race war and having hate just all over the TV, there's this weird law that South Carolina has where uh, they enable the, uh, the families to speak with the person that uh, has perpetrated against them. And instead of, instead of showing their vitriol, they showed him love. And they told him, we invited you in that day and we would invite you again. He, they told him uh, that it, w- it was so painful that they are so hurt that they are so sad, but that they wanted him to know Jesus much more than they wanted him to know wrath. I thought it was such a beautiful thing to see, is that they knew that they had been saved, and that they were continually being saved, and they needed Jesus to be with them in their grief, in their pain, in their sorrow, but they wanted this guy to know Jesus as well, that that was the most important thing for them. Okay, so that is the saving aspect. The second is the unmerited favor. Again, this is taken directly from verse 9, that this gift of God is not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. As we talk about the nature of grace, um, one of, I think one of the best things that we can remember as Christians is that we did nothing to do it, and we are in no way in a position to boast or think we are any better than anyone else. Again, this, this goes back to this idea that we are sinners one of the things that I've liked to tell students over the years is that we're a mess. Like, as a ministry, as people, me, as a father, my family, sometimes can be messy, and that's okay. Because we are not doing anything to merit the grace of God. It is simply a gift of God. Um, And again, this is where we can just go so deep to delve into the, the wonder of God's love. God, in his full wisdom, in his full knowledge, knowing our hearts and minds and desires and everything that we have, he knows that we will run away from him. And yet, he gives us the gift of his grace. We are sinners in need of saving, and he does it because he loves us, not because he thinks he's going to get a great product out of it simply because he loves us. That is such amazing news for, it, for us. And I love this in the context of this book that it's written in. Paul is, is, is so um, amazing in, in saying it right here, and the Holy Spirit was so timely, because this is the Ephesian church. This is the place where Artemis was the god in, in the city of Ephesus, where Paul comes in and he preaches grace by faith in this amphitheater that was built out of all the funds that were made from Artemis, from, from this, the, this god, this idol. <coughs> and people believe and they come to him. And then Paul, for two years, sits with these people, trains up elders, loves them, and then he goes on his way. 
And he is telling them, you have not earned anything. Nor, and, and, I, and I think that this is, th- this is maybe even the better news, no one else is able to boast about it. So though you may feel inferior as these Ephesian people, as these people that are Gentiles, as these people that have not been part of the people of God for generations, you are newly engrafted in, as he says in other parts, you are saved and, and it's nothing that you have done. You don't have to prove yourself. You simply just need to be the Ephesian church. Um, that is how you, that, that is who you are. And I think it's just so wonderful for us uh, to consider that idea, especially in this time that we're in, post-Christian America. Um, again, being on the college campus, I get to see this maybe a couple of years ahead of, of where you guys are. Um, and one of the questions I get from some people is, isn't this a risky thing to talk about? Grace, right? Because you're working with students and you're, you're working with a group of people who oftentimes can sin in some really big ways, can really be foolish in the way that they, they interact with, with others. Wouldn't that just allow them to sin even more? Uh, shouldn't you talk about the law a lot more? Shouldn't you give them instructions on what to do? And, but, but, but God's word is just so full of his grace and so full of how we don't deserve it. And so full of, of books like Judges, where the foolishness of God's people for hundreds of years, it shows up. But the, but the beauty of God's grace continues to shine through the book. The concept of grace is too big for us to simply just leave it off to the side. It's something that we need to have as central and as, and as something that, again, is... <clears throat> is unmerited. We don't earn it. We don't have to look at it um, in some way like that. So that so that's our second thing, the unmerited favor. The last thing that we're going to look at is that we are his masterpieces. So this is this comes from um, verse 10. So for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in him. This is one of my favorite parts um, of this passage, especially to talk with Christians about, because oftentimes, again, we can look at grace in the, in the um, past. We can look at grace only when we need it, when we are um, in challenging situations. But grace is also something that is ongoing and is continual. I love what <coughs> the New Testament theologian F.F. F. Bruce translated this workmanship as masterpiece. And, I, and again, I love it in the connection with the Ephesian church, the city of thousands of these Artemis dolls, many of them that had been, that, that, that had been done by people with incredible craftsmanship and incredible work. Uh, this, the, the amphitheater that they had in the middle of the city, which was one of the wonders of the world. And then to say that you people who believe in faith, that, that believe through faith, by grace, in Jesus Christ, that you are God's best. That you are his workmanship. So the flow is this, that Christians are saved by grace. <coughs> They're saved not because of their own works 
or their future work and what they'll do, but because God is really just that loving. And that he makes them as masterpieces. And it says at the end of that, that God actually prepared beforehand. So before the saving act, before this masterpiece even took place, he knew that he would make you over uh, to be like him. God changes the hearts of his people. He does this because he loves us. I'm saying that a lot, but it's just a great reminder for us to remember who God is in this moment. Um, Remember, Ephesus remained as a city, even with these people um, who helped change it. Rome, if you think of of Romans, continued to be the city mixed with believers and non-believers, and it continues to this day. San Antonio, even with the non-Christians who might live near this church, or, or folks who even come here who don't believe, the church of Jesus in this world is a masterpiece of God's grace. I think that's just such a beautiful thing uh, to consider. And the gospel of grace truly has been a world changer. Uh, there is a, there's a book by an author named Tom Holland. He wrote this book called Dominion, and he talks over and over again about how captivated he was with the Roman Empire. Um, but then in his, in his further study of the Roman Empire, he got really depressed because he recognized just how awful those people truly were. The emperors, the people that were, uh, that, that were part of the, um, uh, of the ruling class. I mean, it, w- it was really sick as he started getting deeper and deeper into it. And what he found was that his real captivation was with Christianity. And this is a guy who was an avowed agnostic, had grown up in an Anglican church, Um, but had given it all away, had deconstructed, you know, years and years before. And he held to this post-Christian conviction that Christianity was essentially meaningless, that it had nothing to do with how the world was changed. And what he found in his study was that almost every single century, there was a way that, that God's grace had seeped into the world and had helped change it. Um, I mean, even giving mercy as a part of how we, are, we expect society to function is incredibly Christian. The way that there is a law in America that a person can come and help someone who is in need, uh, who is in desperate need, and, and it's called the Good Samaritan Law, that is clearly Christian. There are so many things that are so clearly Christian uh, in the world, and at the same time, uh, as I mentioned earlier, there there are times where the absence of grace really just kind of showed how the church looks bad and looks uh, neglectful. And in part, and and a part of it again is that the church at that time, in that moment, maybe even now, just did not understand the bigness of grace and the beauty of the love of God. As recipients of God's grace, we are his masterpieces, and we are given an opportunity to be part of uh, and to continue to extend his grace uh, into, into places where it's been absent or negligent or hasn't even been stated before. And, and, and I say this 
as well to, to you who aren't professional Christians, meaning uh, who aren't pastors, because this is, a, th- this is really a work for you to do. This is something that, that uh, Tom and I and Darden can do to remind you of uh, the beauty of God's grace and the wonder of his love, but it is something that we need to have happen on back porches, at soccer games, um, around tables, in conversations with, with our neighbors. It's something that, 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 that is really so impactful and so meaningful that needs to happen in just the mundaneness of life. Um, I mean, there, there, there are so many examples that I have of, of, of witnessing this and experiencing it, but also seeing that I um, just didn't have the boldness to even tell my neighbors about God's grace because I felt weird because I'm a pastor. Um, but I, I would encourage you guys to seek out those who you know have not received his grace. Um, and to tell them about it, to tell them about just how huge and how um, wonderful our God is. That he sent his son to be the gift that we didn't know that we needed, but we desperately needed because we were dead. That the gift of Jesus is something that, um, that every single person needs to know. Um, in closing, I just want to <laughs> bring up, this is going to feel very uh, different from what uh, I've talked about for the past uh, 20, 30 minutes, but a student reminded me recently of the advances happening in AI. And I don't know how, how familiar you are with it, but in some ways, uh, AI, meaning artificial intelligence, um, it feels like it could take, take over our world um, in some ways because uh, it has a mind of its own at this point that, that seems like it's not even regulated at all. Anyway, that's a, that, that's a conversation for another time. But um, if you get a chance, go and look at some of the ways that AI can, can even write things. Like this sermon could have been written entirely by artificial intelligence, and I wouldn't ha- have had to do any work at all. That did not happen. I want to assure you of that. But in a matter of seconds, there can even be Bible study questions that can be generated. And it's just an algorithm that came up with it. Um, and so there's this sense that we aren't even necessary anymore. That, that human beings don't even have to think, don't even have to consider, don't even need to engage in the world because we can just send them somewhere else where they can get good information. Um, but the student reminded me, uh, as, I, as I was even thinking of something beyond, uh, beyond ministry, of how you actually need people to be involved in things, because you cannot just write a program to make the world function. Um, we, actu- we need people to be engaged in those things. Um, we need people to have a stake in it. We need, we need people to be speaking about the grace of God with others. Part of the reason is that you have been impacted by the grace of God. You have experienced the grace of God. Uh, and if you haven't, I would invite you to experience the grace of God. To know that you have done absolutely nothing 
to earn salvation. That it is simply belief in Christ through faith that has been given to you by God and a response into that um, that makes you right with God. That puts you, as Tom had said earlier, in that family of God, that forever family with God. That grace is the best thing for us to know and to believe and to cling to. Let me pray for us. Father in heaven, thank you for our time. I pray that you would um, encourage us uh, even now um, with your word. Thank you for, um, for being good to us, bringing us um, Jesus as our Savior for our sins, as the one who, who did it, not because we're good or flashy or amazing, but because you loved us. Um, and Father, would we live into this um, idea that we are your workmanship, we are your masterpieces, and we have uh, the opportunity to give um, the word of God to others. Um, Father, would you encourage us, um, even now as we're here, and if there are those who are far from you, I pray that they um, would turn to you now and be freed of their sin and, um, and be received into your loving arms. pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.